Chapter forty one of Anglo American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty one The Archbishop of Canterbury, Queen Alexandra. When the radical rages against the House of Lords, he commonly selects as the most deserving object of his wrath the Lords Spiritual. Wicked as the Lords Temporal are, their Episcopal comrades are more wicked still this is or was more peculiarly the nonconformist point of view a dissenter exists in order to hate a bishop he hates him as a rival in religion a successful rival he hates him as the visible sign of that social ascendancy of the church which is to the dissenter not less odious than its political and ecclesiastical primacy he hates him also because he is rich or is supposed to be so the archbishop of canterbury's fifteen thousand pounds a year his palace at lambeth and his old palace at canterbury are all alike to the true dissenter so many proofs of the devil's handiwork the archbishop of york is a sinner of less degree only because his devil's pension is less by five thousand pounds a year the Bishop of London has the same salary as the Archbishop of York, and his iniquity, though he is only a bishop, is therefore the same. There is, then, a descending scale of financial depravity. Beginning next after London, with the Bishop of Durham at £7,000, we come to the Bishop of Ely with £5,500, the bishops of oxford of bath and wells and salisbury with five thousand pounds each and so by easy stages of lessening vice to the pauper bishop of sodor and man who gets but a pittance of fifteen hundred pounds a year our dissenting friend waxes hotter as he reflects that one archbishop is paid three times as much as a prime minister and the other twice as much while three or four more bishops receive stipends larger than the present colleague of mr lloyd george and mr winston churchill these episcopal salaries are even higher than is that of mr lloyd george or that of mr winston churchill who has to be content himself with five thousand pounds a year while discharging not a few of the duties of the prime minister on the platform and if all reports be true in the cabinet itself this perhaps is rather incidental i was explaining why the dissenter hates the bishop the attitude of the bishops to the vital question of education augments the animosity of the dissenter their conservatism in general politics inflames their opponents still further to the nonconformist orator they are an unfailing target and he ought to be very much obliged to them for supplying him with ammunition but is not mr bright thundered against them and their adulterous origin mr bright's wrath whether rightly directed or not was in itself a noble thing the passion of a great soul greatly stirred just at present the bishops are a little less obnoxious to the radical than usual because they followed the radical lead on the licensing bill that bill evoked animosities not less bitter than the education bill the bishops made it a question of temperance 
holding that by higher licensing fees and heavier taxes on public houses and on liquor the consumption of spirits would be lessened they argued that if there were fewer public houses there would be fewer drinkers and drunkards they applauded mr asquith when he proposed that on sundays a man should walk six miles before he could have a glass of beer for that is what the bona fide traveller clause came to if they had the influence with their fellow peers they are supposed to have they could have prevented the rejection of the licensing bill but they could not do that then the radicals turned on them because they could not control a house where their very presence is to the radical a continuing offence the brewers are stronger than the bishops cried the radical to whose happiness a victim of one kind or another is essential the archbishop of canterbury led his brethren of the episcopal bench in this matter of temperance as he has led them on other matters he is their natural leader he is the primate of all england the head of the church next after the king his abilities and character are of a kind to fit him for leadership i suppose it may sound like a paradox if i suggest that for him who holds the highest ecclesiastical post in the land the first requisite is that he should be a man of the world but it is true and it is equally true of all bishops it was true of the late bishop potter who was not only the most eminent dignitary of the american episcopal church but almost the first citizen of new york the bishops have to administer each his own diocese and a diocese is a province they must understand how to govern they must understand men and so far as possible women they must be men of affairs whether they know much greek or hebrew is of quite secondary importance knowledge of that kind is ornamental the other kind is essential they ought to be diplomatists also skilled not so much in controversy as in avoiding controversy the present archbishop is all this his public career proves it and if you come to know him he will leave a very distinct personal impression on your mind it was my fortune to meet him at dalmeny house not many years ago while he was still bishop of winchester his visit lasted some days and there have not been many days more interesting except for his clothes and perhaps for a certain sweetness of manner you need not have supposed him to be a bishop he did not talk shop he talked as others talk who are not of the church at once you saw he was broad-minded i do not use the word broad in its ecclesiastical sense there was not a suggestion of the apostolic or missionary attitude that was for another place and other circumstances nihil humani might have been his motto if he had a motto he talked well clearly picturesquely and in the tone which any guest in a country house might use he did not require you to remember that he was a bishop or even a priest he was just himself his knowledge and good sense and felicity of thought and speech were his own queen alexandra came to tea the archbishop as the rev randall davidson had been for eight years dean of windsor and naturally had seen much of the royal family i suppose i may say that he had in time become a trusted friend of the queen perhaps her most trusted adviser 
people who opposed his promotion called him a courtier as any man who lives much in the atmosphere of courts may be it was easy to see from the queen's manner how much she liked the bishop and looked to him for counsel if a point were a question it was to him she turned the princess victoria was with the queen and there too was a friendship those were days when affairs in the united states were in a critical state or seemed to be and when we were beginning to think that the goodwill of other countries might be important to us as it was and always will be as ours is to them so i hope i shall not do amiss if i repeat now a word which the queen then said to me i hope all the news from your own country is good we all hope that that expressed the queen's personal womanly sympathy and something more far gone were the days when english sympathies were for our enemies they are now for us and queen victoria was our friend and queen alexandra and the late king were our friends they shared the friendship of their people the queen spoke for herself and for them the bishop stood by her majesty's side as she said it his face brightened he knew as well as anybody how much it meant end of chapter forty one